We've been here now for some time. Uh, if you'll remember, we have, we're just wrapping up what's very often called the Hall of Faith uh, in chapter 11, where the author goes through and just mentions particular people specifically and how great their faith was and uh, you know, for some manner or, or, or reason. Uh, so we're going to, I want you to keep that in mind as we jump on into the following chapter which is chapter 12. I also want you to take note of the fact we're getting very close to being finished with this book, which makes me want to cry. <laughs> I don't know about you, I'm halfway tempted to go back and start all over again once we finish at the end. Uh, but chapter 12. And since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which uh, clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured uh, from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, been, uh, you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons besides this we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. What did you spend yesterday afternoon doing? I can't speak for all of you, but I can assume that at least some of you spent most of your afternoon watching football. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> Uh, two full games of football I watched yesterday. 
Uh, there's something about athletic competition that has always interested people. And as we read this particular context, we see that's kind of the picture that's being painted here. Is this, is, this is like this, this sports event where people are running. They're running this race, and there is this cloud of witnesses, this audience that is watching them do what they're doing. And what this is is a picture of where you and I are right now. We are the ones that are running the race, and we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ that have gone forth before us, who have passed now from this earth, and they are in heaven, and they're looking down upon us. And the picture here is that they are cheering us on, encouraging us. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel great makes me feel wonderful because it tells us a lot of things. And one of those is we misunderstand this. We're not in this alone. You know, God has given us great privileges, great blessings. And one of those is that we're surrounded by witnesses who believe the same thing that we do, who are living the life that we're living. It serves as an encouragement to all of us. To not only engage in the race, but to remain steadfast in the race. But I do want to say this, that when it comes to biblical illustrations, they are in fact helpful, but we need to understand something, that every single one of them falls short of what reality is. In other words, what we're talking about here this morning goes way beyond all the millions of people that were watching football games yesterday. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ down through the ages. Not only here in the world, but in heaven as well. We are in a race, a race of faith. And we will remain in it, not just for a time, but for the rest of eternity. Now, one of these days, we will die in our spirits, and eventually our body will wind up in, with Christ in his kingdom. But until that happens... We are engaged in this struggle, this moving forward. Christianity is not a spectator sport. In other words, it's not something that people can sit at a distance and watch other people do. Christianity is, is a spectator, not a spectator sport. It is, if you're a Christian, you are engaged in it whether you want to or not. It's part of our lot in life. It's the course the Lord has set before each one of us. Now, a race may look a little different. My race is not going to look exactly like yours because the things that affect me directly 
are not necessarily the same things. There is overlapping between you and me, but, you, but the things that, that you struggle with and, and the Lord has put in your path before you are not it's always exactly the same ones that I have. And let me say this, as a, as a body of Christ, as a separate church entity in a sense, above everything else or everyone else, we should be the greatest sources of encouragement to continue to fight the good fight, to run the good race, Years ago, Walter and I and, and some other guys were in Uganda, and we'd been there for uh, about a month. And it came time for us to come home. And obviously, we were anxious. We really enjoyed the time that we were there, but being gone away for a whole month is a, is a lengthy period of time for most of us. And I had small children, and our kids were still little. And Lori was home raising them all by herself, and well, probably Nancy to help her, but but I love my time in Uganda. Dick and Barb too, you know, last time when we went is when I I just I love it. Some people don't understand. <laughs> uh, but what happened to Walter and I and uh, two of the other guys that we were with was this was we were having dinner the last night that we were in Fort Portal, which is hour drive from there to Kampala where Antebi is where their plane flies out of and it's bad man's land all the way in between okay <laughs> but we we're sitting there eating dinner at the missionary house the night before they were supposed to come and pick us up to drive us to Antebi but news had come across that they were not going to be able to come and pick us up. This was Mission Aviation. They were supposed to fly in close by to where we were and then fly us to Kampala. They couldn't come. The government was restricting air travel. So we're sitting there and we're thinking, what in the world are we going to do? If we don't get it there tomorrow, we're going to miss our flight. And, and in those days, there was only one flight a week. So that meant we would spend at least one more week in Uganda. So what we decided to do was to borrow one of the vehicles from the missionaries that we were staying with and drive through the night. To Antebi. Now let me tell you. That's not necessarily a drive you want to make in the daytime. It certainly is not one you want to make in the nighttime. We went for our ways, and we, we, we came to what they call it. It's a roadblock. What they do is they take a tire, and they prop it up in the middle of the road. And you see, whenever you see one of those, you know you're supposed to stop because there's going to be a soldier nearby. And what they're doing is checking vehicles and, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So, so we pull up to this tire, and we stop, and we're looking around, and we don't, because this is like, you know, midnight or maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. And we don't see anybody. So anyway, I'm driving, and I start to go, and all of a sudden I notice that there's a soldier sitting on 
the, the, the porch of this little hut off at a distance and his gun's coming up. So he slam on the brakes. Anyway, he comes over. He actually turned out to be a nice guy, but what he, he was just like everybody else. Don't do this. You need to turn around and go back to where you came from. But nonetheless, we went ahead. And I can speak for Walter, but I can speak for myself. That, that was one of the times in my life where I felt the presence of God in a way that I just don't normally do. I knew that he was with us. He was there in the truck with us. And he took us there safely. And once we got there, we still had to find, locate one of the missionaries, and we had no way of contacting them directly. We just kind of knew about where they were supposed to be, and we had to find that place. And I was the only one that had ever been in Kampala. But the Lord took us right to his door. My whole point in this is I think sometimes we don't think about it. Sometimes God wants us to step out into no man's land. Because it's those times that we spend in no man's land very often where we learn the greatest presence of God and the greatest lessons he wants us to know. Sometimes we are far too reserved in the practicing of our faith. Sometimes we think that God expects some people to do those sorts of things, but he doesn't really expect me to do things like stepping out on a limb. Crazy as it sounds, it's one of my most fondest memories as a Christian. Because it's one of those rare times where I felt the closeness of God in a way that I just don't all the time. We had a cloud of heavenly witnesses encouraging us onward. Of course, the fact that I was away from my beloved wife and my children for almost a month had something to do with it too. We have many brothers and sisters. I mean, there are a lot of people in the world today that believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But they're only a part. We have this cloud described as a cloud of witnesses. Our brothers and sisters in heaven and all of the heavenly hosts looking down upon us where we are wanting the best for us, encouraging us onward. You know, there was a time before we had these motorized vehicles where people either rode horses or rode around in wagons pulled by horses. 
if you've ever seen, and, and every now and then, if you ever go to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, you'll still see carriages and buggies going, and wagons going up and down the road. But one of the things you'll always notice is that as far as the harnesses on the horses go, they always put blinders on them. You know, these little things that sit out beside their eyes. And, and the purpose is this, is so that they're not distracted by what's going on around them, that they focus immediately on what's ahead of them. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because there are many things that will distract our attention in life if we allow them to do it. In other words, there's a sense in which we need to have spiritual blinders to keep us focused where we need to be focused and not sidetracked all the time. There are many things that are a reality for us, many things that we have to deal with. Worries. I don't imagine, is there anybody in this room that can say with an honest answer that you never, ever worry about anything? What are you afraid of? We all have fears. Fears of not being accepted, fears of not being loved, fears of being inadequate, fears, doubts, deficiencies, weaknesses, insecurities. We all have them. And they all have the effect of drawing our attention away from where it needs to be. Our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. Always. It is so very easy to be sidetracked. Because life for most of us, many of us, is very busy and very often it's busy of things that are all worthy of being done that need to be done but the fact of the matter is this is we are still here in this world for God's reasons and one of those is this, is that he still has things for us to do. We may be tired. And let me tell you something, if you're not tired, you're not doing what you need to be doing. So tiredness, spiritual tiredness in a sense, is almost like a badge. Because it shows, it's proof that you're actually participating. That you're engaging, that you're involved in this. So have you, have you never felt spiritual weariness? I have. And I would imagine all of you have. Sometimes it's not easy to be a Christian. Jesus never promised it was going to be easy. 
But if you don't know what I'm talking about this morning, it can only be for one reason. Because you have not been boldly living your faith for Christ in this world. Sometimes I think people misunderstand faith. They think that faith is just the key that gets you into heaven. But faith is what we actually have to live. It's a very essential part of our life. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these very well-known words. What use is it if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? And the implied answer is no. It can't. Why? Because the works that we do in the name of Christ is the evidence that our faith is real. As this letter was written, there were many Christians. This is when the persecution of the church was... becoming very, very common. He writes, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving after sin. He's talking about them, their blood being shed. The ESD translates it this way. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted the point of shedding your blood. In other words, you've put limits on what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. In other words, you think you're in charge. How often have we turned a blind eye and a, and a deaf ear to God. I'm not sure anyone here has ever literally bled a drop of blood for their faith. If you have, you're an exception. We're talking about historically, Lord, or, or, or a period, the church, where brothers and sisters are being arrested, imprisoned, tortured, and murdered. Sometimes we think about the the victorious Christian living. And you meet people like this every now and then. You know, they, they're, they're, they're believers. I'm not saying they're not believers, but it's like you know, they have this, this joy all the time, even in the midst of real trial and tribulation and whatever. I think a lot of it is genuine, but sometimes maybe it's not. 
hard. Life in the world is hard. And none of us does it all that well. It's full of heart-wrenching events that sometimes affect us very, very personally and directly. But these people to whom this author is writing, they are, they are dying for their faith. Because they refused to deny their master. Sometimes, I th- you know, as Americans, you and I, I don't think any of us really understands the great privileges that we have had in this world. In this life, we had had and experienced freedom like no other people ever have in the whole existence of this earth. People have died to make sure that we've had that freedom. So sometimes it's very hard for people like us to relate to what the rest of the world is going through. It's hard for us to imagine living in a country where it's illegal for you to be a Christian and so you don't tell anybody because if you do, they're going to chop your head off. But we need to understand something. All this suffering that takes place in this world for believers... is a form of discipline. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Discipline is not a favored word in this world today. Most people wish it didn't even exist. They don't seem to think it ought to apply to them. People today, in a lot of ways, and et cetera, are living very undisciplined lives compared to what our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers did. It's like the shackles have been thrown off. And, and, and the, the, the basic general mindset today is you should be able to do anything you want to do, period. Discipline is not a favored word in the world today. But as long as sin is in the world, and most particularly in us, discipline will remain part of the picture. God's discipline. As a parent, I can tell you this, that very often I discipline my children wrongly. I discipline them out of anger at times. When God disciplines his children, he always does it in love. That it is motivation. It's not because he's angry at you. It's not because you just frustrate the mess out of him and he doesn't know what else to do with you. 
He disciplines you. He dis disciplines me. He disciplines us because it's exactly what we need. And he knows better than we do what we need. The problem is very often when we discipline, we do it wrongly. I can tell you right now that I spank my kids sometimes out of a rage. Partly because I think every spanking I ever had in my whole life was out of a rage. But God disciplines us because he loves us. He knows exactly what we need always. He doesn't do it out of anger. He does it because it's what his children need. What would we, would we have our Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit just turn a blind eye to sin? No. Obviously, the words disciple and discipline are connected. Disciple is derived from discipline. In other words, if you're a disciple, there's, there's discipline involved. And just like every loving parent disciplines their children, so the Lord's going to discipline all who are his and even better he disciplines us for our good verse 10 why that we may share in his holiness that one of the reasons that God uses discipline in our case, is because it ushers in holiness and drives out the bad stuff more and more. John Owen writes this, the Puritan, God's special purpose in divine discipline is that may we share in his holiness. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. Holiness is a family trait. In other words, if there's no sense of holiness about us, it always is. There are no perfect people in here. I'm most probably the most imperfect person in this whole room. Now, if you knew me all that well, you'd probably agree with me.
the fact that God disciplines us tells us that he loves us. If he just let us go any way we wanted to go and do whatever we wanted to do and whatever, that would be a sign or symbol to us that he just doesn't care about us. He doesn't. We're not his. But sinfulness and holiness are polar opposites. It's hard to be where we are right now because we have two polar opposites existing in the same person. They cannot exist together indefinitely. Eventually, one will win out over the other. Always. For now, we're still in this world, and as long as we're in this world, the fight goes on. The battle. You ever hear the theological term sanctification? It basically means to declare or make something holy that wasn't. That's one of the things that salvation in Christ brings to us, holiness, that we would have not apart from it. But theologians, they sometimes like to complicate things. But they talk about two different aspects to sanctification. One is called positional sanctification and the other is called progressive sanctification. Positional means this. By position, you are a child of God. Whammo, bammo, end of story. But what God is doing progressively in you is killing the sin more and more and more that is dominated and replacing it with his righteousness. Growing in holiness. Progressive sanctification, which is what we're talking about here, is not best described as a constant, steady, uphill climb. It's better described as Two steps forward and one step backward. But the fact of the matter is we know that even though that's sometimes we, it's, it's, it's like we have double personality. We're two different people living in the same place. One's holy, the other's not. One loves the world, the other loves the Lord. Schizophrenics, in a sense. But our confidence is not in ourselves. If it is, God help us. Our confidence is in Him. Because we know this is true, 
because he tells us it's true. That he who began the work in you will be faithful to complete it. Always. In every case. I have all kinds of other things I could say. But there is one other thing that I want to drive home. And that is, there are some things we can actually do, but one of the things we cannot do is we cannot make ourselves holy. We can't. Only God can. We're about to serve the Lord's Supper this morning. Symbolic of a lot of things. But one of them is this. It's an admission that I know I'm lost. An admission I know I cannot save myself. But I know that he can. And this is the proof of it. He came into this world. He lived a very difficult life. He suffered in ways that you and I cannot even imagine what suffering looks like. Or will we ever? Why? Because he did it for us. We don't have to be fearful that we're going to suffer for our sins. Why? Because Jesus has already done the suffering. a good bit of what this is all about. The praise team going to come and lead us in. I'm going to pray.